So I don't know if you uh, if you're a basketball fan, but we were up late last night uh, watching it to the bitter end. Yeah, it was an exciting. Better run for the. I mean, nobody expected the Thunder to do what they did, right? So no, no. Well, and you know that's a great point though about life, right? If you're not playing the game, you can't possibly win. All right, so I have Matthew Kirk with me today. I'm super excited, Matt, to have you join me. Matt leads uh, distribution and sales for the Hartford for Small Commercials, based in Hartford, Connecticut, and has been with Hartford in one capacity or another for about 20 years, I think. Is that right? Yeah, close, probably 15, actually. So you added five, but 15. Okay. All right, and so Matt and I know each other because uh, of his small business leadership for the Hartford, and we've uh, we know each other and have had a chance to visit him a number of times. And I, Matt, wanted to have you on because we're exploring what does the future of insurance distribution look like? What's the future of the independent insurance agency over the next three to five years? So as we are talking today, it's uh, early September, 2020. Uh, we're all on pins and needles waiting to see what happens next with COVID and how it changes all our lives. Um, you mentioned a minute ago that you're actually in your office, but you're one of only a handful of people at Hartford right now. Yeah, you know, obviously the, the Hartford put all the protocols in place necessary to ensure if you want to come in, we obviously have a screening app beforehand. You validate, you know, your temperature and and where you've been, and then you're able to come in the office. But even that is very, very controlled because obviously we don't uh, we don't want to have too many people in at any one time. So we're all you know adjusting to our new routines. And you know just to give you a sense of the scale, in one weekend in March, we took 19,000 employees, and Friday night they were working in their their normal work environments, and on Monday every one of them was remote and. Uh, Amazingly, it worked well. All those business resiliency plans all of us put together, we pulled the trigger on them and they worked great. So, so obviously a big change for everybody around the world. So, you know, with that in mind, uh, 19,000 people all doing business differently, but doing it well. Um, how do you think the future looks over the next two or three years? Are we going to ever come back to centralized workspaces or is it going to stay like this in one way or another permanently? What do you think? So I do think and again, you know, I have the privilege every day of talking to agents around the country, obviously have, have colleagues at different companies and, and, and people I've spoken to. I do think when people are comfortable, so let's just assume you were in a post-COVID type world, however wow. we got to that, there is a dynamic of in-person development, learning, mentorship, collaboration that is going to come back. There's also trust established between people when they're in person that, you know, you can do a lot of Zooms, but, but there's, there's a dynamic. So, well, will it look like it did in, you know, the beginning of March of, of 2020? Probably not. You know, there's going to be some reconfiguration and certainly people have enjoyed no traffic, right. no commutes. You know, there's a lot of things that people have realized are, are really nice, but I, I don't think we should underestimate how much the in-person engagement learning collaboration, when people can do that again, they're thirsting for it. So it'll come back. It won't be the exact same, but it'll come back, I think, more than people anticipate today. Well, that'll be interesting to see. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is uh, with the insurance distribution in particular and, and, and local agencies specifically, that um, in a sense, geography's dead because if we can have this conversation here in Hartford, I'm in Oklahoma City, we're 1,500 miles apart, but we're having a, a conversation today why can't I have a conversation in Hartford with a small business client, uh, even though I'm in Oklahoma City? And so if, if that's true, uh, and it's possible, and it certainly is possible, is it likely that the future insurance agency is going to have really deeper niches so I can specialize because I've got a broader marketplace? And is that going to happen? Or is that just something that will go away when COVID goes? What, what do you think? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I've always, you know, I get asked often and in, in talking to our agents from a future standpoint, you know, what, what do you see there? And I, I, I use three words often. I say digital, and I'll come back to that because the agency itself better be digital, right. mobile, because from a client perspective, that's how we live. And I know we'll talk more about that. But there is a local component that I think changes with size of client. And what do I mean by that? 
I think a smaller business is more attached to its local community and there's a trust built in the local community, but as they get bigger, so their business is now three locations and one might be in a different state, exactly what you just said, Tony. I think that as the businesses get larger, geography becomes less and less relevant, but I do think on the smaller end, there's a community, a local aspect that just, you know, there's that trust that you're part of the community and your yep. agent's part of the community and that works well. So, so I would say the, the disappearance of geography is directly correlated, at least in my opinion, to the size of the business in some ways, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense, but you said something important, I think, and something I've been thinking a lot about recently, which is community. So the typical insurance agent operates in their local community, right? Uh, I'm on the board of a community bank. We operate in our community. Uh, and, uh, but what I've been thinking about is that really what a community is, is changing. So, so for example, I'm a pilot and I'm in a pilot community that uh, has people from all over the world. We're, you know, friends and we communicate and everything about uh, what we used to do at the airport, we're now doing online. And we've been doing it that way for a decade. So it's a real community. It has uh, people with shared purpose, common interest, uh, shared commitment. Uh, it has people that, you know, identify around a set of uh, interests. Uh, and so I'm thinking a lot about, you know, what does it make to be a community? And does the definition of community evolve as we go forward? And if it does, does that make it possible to be a community agent for plastic injection molding companies or, uh, you know, people in the parks and recreation world? I mean, name something, right? Right. So, so what does it mean to be a community and how does it, what does it mean for an agent to be a part of that and to service people? Yeah, no, I, yeah, no it's, and it's, it's interesting. If you think about not even 30 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and you were specializing as an agent, you were saying, I'm good at dry cleaners or I'm good at whatever it might be. Well, there probably was a convention that you right. went to, you know, you put up a booth and, that's how you networked and you might've known a few of your clients were there and you were hoping they introduced you to a few other that could become potentials. And, you know, right. that was a mechanism to create exactly what you just described, which is a kind of, Hey, I'm in this community of dry cleaner owners. Right. And now I'm getting, now I'm going to try to build that network bigger and, and ha get more clients. Well, now, you know, you can do that from your desk. Right. And you can have, you know, that referral or that validation of your existing clients to some of their colleagues in a like-minded business can happen right there on that Zoom. So I do think there's going to be absolutely community dynamics uh, that change. We found it, you know, it's an interesting question, Tony. If you think about, I've got a big family. So I got four siblings. We got, you know, lots of nieces and nephews. Uh -huh. And of course, like everybody was doing in the middle of April and May, we're all worried about each other. So we were Zooming on Saturday nights, maybe, you know, having a drink and talking to each other. I spent more time with my siblings during COVID than I do without COVID. And that was our little community. And so right. I think, I think absolutely there's going to be a creation, but I don't want to leave, you know, there's something that I think um, will sustain a little bit. Think of how involved everybody is right now locally. Is our school opening? What's happening? They're prob they probably know more about their board of education than they've ever known in their lives. And, you know, so there is going to be a dynamic where the connection to your geography still exists a little bit. But I think as an agent, you got both options, right? You can be part of that local environment and right. that trusted, but then you also can take your knowledge and expertise way wider than you've ever been able to be do before in a moment's notice. Yeah. So huge opportunity. But you said earlier that, you know, one of the three things that you're focused on and you're thinking is digital. So let's talk about that for a second. So obviously, if you're going to participate in a community outside of the one in which you live, um, your, your agency and you personally have to have digital capabilities. Right. So from from your perspective and the research that, that I know that you all are doing at Hartford, what does that look like? Uh, when does it have to happen? And is there a period at which if you're not digital, you're dead? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's obviously a question on everyone's minds. And so the when question is yesterday. So, so it's not two years, it's not five years. It's, it's, if, if, if it's not top 
of your priority list, then you got to have the you got to have an evaluation of where you're taking your business. So, so that question of digital, and I'll, I want to talk about it through the lens of what is the not the operational behavior you've engaged in, but what's the expectation of someone, whether they're your own staff, whether they're a client. That's how you need to think about digital. And that's my counsel to my agency partners, which is what is the expectation right now? Not a year from now, not five years from now, right now, from a digital perspective, it's that it's accurate, it's immediate, and it's done. I use this example often, Tony, when I talk about this is, imagine if you decided, hey, I'm gonna buy something on Amazon Prime, went on your phone, and they allowed you to key in your credit card, and it didn't check whether it was right. How many times did you get those numbers wrong? A day later, get an email, I'm sorry, your card didn't go through. They would never allow that experience. That's why you can't finish the transaction until they know it's right, because they want to deliver that experience that you've come to expect when you buy something online. These are the people who are your staff in the agency. These are your clients. And so, so we can get into the nuts and bolts of how the agency does it, but it is a here and now, and it's an absolute because it's expectations, not how you did business yesterday, I think is critical. Well, so obviously, you know, there are tens of thousands of insurance agencies in the country. Um, some of them are already able to do what you're describing. Many cannot today. Uh, and if yesterday is the day in which you had to have this done, when does the day arrive that if you haven't done it, you know, you're going to see your retention rate, for example, people are going to be leaving you in droves because the experience isn't what they expected. Um, is there a sunset on traditional business model? Yeah. And so, you know, in a crystal ball as to is that what exact day? I can't say it's six months or a year or three years, but what I can say on this is there's two things that are going to happen and they're going to be happen, happening concurrently. One, your ability to attract talent into your agency is going to start to be depleted because people aren't going to work in an environment that is totally unfamiliar to everything that they do either in the current job they're in or certainly in their lives. So as it relates to, are you going to have the right people, the, which as we all know in our business, that's critical. That begins to happen very quickly to you that, that, that people are not going to accept an experience that is totally foreign to them just because that's what was done five years ago. So I think the talent dynamic is a, is a fairly, immediate event as you're recruiting or as you're as you're potentially losing losing people but secondly there's an expense and what's going to happen and this is what i fear for for our agency partners is we all know there's a productivity dynamic that occurs with if a transaction getting a cert if it's one and done in three minutes and maybe even by the client themselves on a mobile app or if it's done in the agency, done real time and live and done, right? Well, that just freed up a bunch of time. Well, as, as you take down the expense, you now have cash flow. You talk in your book a lot about cash flow versus profits. Yep. What, what can you do with that? You can reinvest right back into the agency. And so the agents that are going to get behind are not only going to get behind because of talent, they're going to get behind because the operations, of the agency, their balance sheet is not in the right place. And so it's just going to be very hard to keep up. And so it happens fast. I think is it Bill Gates that says, you know, we expect a lot more change in one year than ever happens. And we never expect over that five year period, how fast it's all going to happen. And so that would be the framing I think that's coming to our agents is six months. You might still feel pretty good. You won't believe in three years, how far you got behind. Okay. So, you know, the traditional uh, thinking around who you appoint as an agency to represent the Hartford has to do with reputation in a community, financial stability, ability to produce new business, uh, you know, uh, service capability of the agency, you know, reputational issues, things like that. So how does, uh, as you go forward looking at who you appoint and who you retain, uh, as part of your agency partner uh, force, how does digital and those capabilities factor into those decision-making processes? So it's a 
Great question, because live, right? It's something we're, we're talking about every day. So we would never lose sight of the first order of business, which is the brand, which is the reputation question, the quality of the agent, you know, all those things. Because it, again, you know, we are connecting to each other. They're connecting their agency right. and their hard work to our brand. We're connecting our brand to them. So I, I don't want to ever lose sight of how important that is reputationally for both the agent and the carrier. Uh, but let me pivot to the next piece. It used to be you'd think about your expenses on the carrier side through the lens of, well, going to have a, you know, a sales marketing person probably have to call on them. That's going to cost me some money. There's going to be referrals that come to an underwriter who's going to have to spend some time. That's cost me some money. I got to train them on our systems and the way we operate. And of course I pay them commission, you know, it's so all these things layer up. Previously, though, if we were talking about new appointments in 2010 or even maybe 2015, what I have been talking about created expense for the carrier by the agency. That is to say they want to email us a request for a cert and they just, right. you know, quadrupled the expense of processing that cert. What I say, they always want to call in to get something done on the service side. They don't offer our mobile opportunity to their clients where the client can just pay their bill, get their ID cards, you know, get a cert. Um, right. And so now we're talking about that every day, Tony. We're talking about, is that an expense creating agency for us because of the way they operate? And mm -hmm. so that is now an input, not a minor one, into the way we think about, uh, you know, who, who we want to be working with. And for our current partners, we are spending an enormous amount of time trying to shift them to a digital environment so both of us are operating better so it's it's real it's live today well and uh, i appreciate you bringing that up because um you know my observation is we work with lots of smaller insurance agents who are great salespeople, but it may not be as sound a business person as maybe somebody running a 10 million dollar revenue agency and that makes sense right? right um you know they it's just not as it's not as complicated a business um, but it needs to become that from what I'm hearing because, you know, they really need to understand better, not only their own cost structure, as you pointed out, but they need to understand what they're doing to you because otherwise, I, I suppose you're going to be coming in and saying, gosh, yeah, we're sorry, but, you know, we, we have to move on or perhaps uh, you're going to have to make adjustments in compensation. I mean, one, uh, yeah, a good way to think about it is you remember the old days and you talk about it in your book as well around, the carrier's coming in with the appointment. Well, it's all about the production goals. How much business are you going to produce for me? And that is kind of the bulk of the dialogue in that appointment. There's the brand and the reputation, but that's the big dialogue, right? Well, a carrier can get their head around and a lot more comfortable about maybe a different production goal. And this is coming from a sales guy. Yeah. A different production goal, if that agency is using their quote rate issue system, so they're issuing business fast, but it's not, you know, tying up an underwriter. We've got a lot bindable if they're using our digital assets for service, because again, they're not creating any expense for us at all in right. doing that. And so now when we think about that agency, we might go, well, yeah, they're not producing as much as we'd like, but they're a very, very uh, high return agency for us because they're also not costing us a lot. And so if I was a small agent and I was sitting with a carrier who I wanted to get an appointment from, I would be, you're going to have to have a production conversation, obviously, yeah, yeah. but I'd also be talking to them about, Hey, our vision is not to have people emailing service requests and beginning those games of email tag. Our vision is not to sit on hold and tie up phone lines. Our vision is to transact digitally. So it's accurate and immediate. Well, that carrier is going to go, Hey, you know, all of a sudden we're in a different conversation. So that's what my counsel would be. And the carrier, in many cases, has the assets, especially the national ones. So you just got to commit to use what they're giving to you. It doesn't cost any money for you. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, one of the traditional uh, metrics of agent carrier appointment criteria have been, you know, having a certain and maintaining a certain amount of volume, right? It used to be, you know, typically around $500,000. That's yep. come down over the last decade or so uh, with the ad or the rise of various kinds of uh, aggregating organizations of which, you know, uh, my, my business is one of those. Um, but the reason for the requirement for premium really was around cost of doing business, as you mentioned, you know, the cost of actually servicing from your perspective, the, the agency. But the other piece was that you needed to know that the agent had enough commitment 
of business on the books to understand your underwriting uh, philosophy, your market appetite, your product set, right? So they could adequately and properly represent your products. So with technology and with the rise of artificial intelligence, and that's coming, I think, very rapidly uh, to lots of uh, businesses that don't really think about it today, where the AI can know the product and the AI can properly place the, uh, the risk among a series of companies, let's say in an insurance agency. Uh, and if, if the agent is able to meet your cost requirements from the standpoint of the digital experience you've talked about vis-a-vis -vis you and the agency, does that mean at some point that insurance agencies should be, instead of maybe representing five carriers, could represent 10 or 15 or 20 carriers. Do you see a day in which that happens? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, if you, I think it's gonna be less than that, and I'll give you a reason why I think it, you know, the carriers gotta grow. So they grow based on the production of their their appointed agents around the around the country, and so, in a scenario where you're really getting down to a very small piece of production because the, the miles they got to feed from a carrier set has just gotten so much wider, mm -hmm. it means your spread has to get that much bigger because at a certain point, you know, you, you, we all have to, we all have to hit, you know, certain growth targets. And so there's probably some balance in there. I do think, and I think this is a, uh, again, back to the agent, if I'm building a book of business and thinking about which carriers I want on it, you know, we talk about, you know, niche business a lot, you know, is a, which carriers are good at that and where should I be funneling my business because they're right. better at it. I like their product. I like their claim. I like their servicing of it. Um, I think that becomes much more prevalent than kind of just the generalist who has, you know, anyone that they can find because you're going to be up against another agent who knows that client better and they're using a carrier who's got a very good responsive either you know product claim service quote rate issue system all that sort of thing so so i think you'll see uh, if i looked at the my agency books you know 10 years from now they're probably going to be more and more weighted by agency to the niche that that agency is going after versus being spread across all the all the products we have out there. I don't know if that makes sense, Tony. That's kind of how I, I see less of taking premium volume down real low, because then you just got to have so many more agents, but more maybe I'm getting more out of this agency in this niche, because they're, they're good at it and they like what we bring to the table. Well, I think that that's really interesting, because I think, you know, I asked earlier about, you know, are you able to sell all over the place, or do you need to be a community, but we talked about niche marketing, target marketing, many agencies are really good at that now, many are not. I think what, what I'm hearing you say, among other things, is the agent of the future is a target marketer, uh, because because the carriers are going to need that or demand that, among other things. I, I and, it's, and it's today, in many ways, so when we go in and prospect, you know, we'll ask some questions. I know you do it every day and say, you know, what's your premium leakage? And if they kind of give you a blank stare and you go, so they're not, they don't really know how much they're going to lose in a year. Thus, they don't really know what 10% growth means because their 10% growth might be, they think they only got to grow 10%. No, they probably got to grow 15 or 18, depending on their leakage. And then do they got the producers to actually grow 18, not grow 10? because they're not growing 10 with some leakage. Everybody's gonna have leakage. And so then you say, well, what is the producer going after? So we're in those conversations on both. Are, do they understand what actual growth looks like? And then secondly, um, you know, do they have the producer force to grow 18%, not 10% in their new business targets? Yeah, you know, I always tell uh, agents when we have this conversation that the first thing you've got to build into your agency not, is not sales capability, it's retention capability, because at any point, keep, you know, if you can't keep the business, what's right. the point of selling it, right? Because you, you don't make any money the first two or three years after you sell an account, and you don't either right. uh, on the carrier side. So you've really got to focus on that. And, and there's obvious implications to this digital experience we're talking about in terms of retention, because if your customer can't self-service, and they, they can get that right now everywhere else they do business, they're not likely to stay with you, which means you're going to be just churning, right? So you're almost, uh, I can't think of what the, uh, uh, it's not Sisyphus, I can't remember the, there's some 
uh, Greek mythological figure who's pushing the rock up the hill for all time, right? And that becomes the agency's position if they don't if they don't develop digital capability. Yeah, I, and and you know I think that we never want to lose sight. It's for their own team and their clients. Yeah, you know it's because it, it's 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 both ends of that beam are are so important. Um, yeah. Because not all the you know some of the clients will want the agency. They you know. They might be doing a lot of things mobily, but maybe they want the agency to do some of those service requests. Well, the agency staff are going to want to do it digitally in the future sure. and want to do it today, not just the future. Okay. So today there's roughly 38,000, I think, uh, give or take a thousand or two, uh, independent insurance agencies in the United States. Actually, a little higher number maybe than even a decade ago yep. um, because a lot of new agencies have started uh, over the last 10 years. Um, I don't know how many uh, Hartford Small Commercial has representing them, uh, but I am curious, do you see the agency, the number of agencies shrinking over the next five years, or is it going to continue to do what it did in the previous 10 and grow in number? Yeah, and you know, um, it, it's, a, it's a really important question. Important question for us is important question for our industry. I'm going to answer it in a couple ways. I think we can't ignore the volume of M&A. Obviously, since 2006, it's been staggering the entrance of private equity dollars into the agency side. Obviously, agents, to, which is a wonderful thing, are very attractive uh, because they have great recurring revenue, low capital expense, so they attract a lot of capital. So I don't see that going anywhere. And so when you think of, you know, sort of the top of the house, will there be, you know, the acquisitions are going to continue. So I think there's going to be a bit of a Goldilocks event here. And, and what do I mean by that? I think you're going to see the M&A continue. So that top 10 list of um, agencies or that top 100 list, depending on what you want to look at, is in many ways there's going to be that aggregation there. So that's one end. But on the other end, there's going to be a very interesting dynamic because the barriers to entry, you know, you got to be licensed, Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you got to have some carrier appointments um, in order to service clients and you get uh, those sorts of things. But technology really offers a whole, it, it takes down some barriers to entry, as does what's happened at the other end, which is, for example, an SIA organization. And SIA now offers, and OAA offers, the opportunity to bring some structure to a small agent who wants to retain their brand and their community but they want to be part of someone that can help them get going and take them, you know, to build a strong agency. So that's an incentive to open an agency. And I think, you know, obviously you've seen a lot of the exclusive or captive agents, you know, try to move over and become independent and they've gotten a lot of help from, from the SIs and others of the world. So I think the two will continue to kind of counterbalance each other. There'll be the acquisition of brands up here and especially larger kind of middle and large commercial agencies, but there will be an organic continuance because there's going to be organizations that help them get into a position that they can be successful as well as it's not going to be as complicated. You know, your accounting, your back office, your process, all that. Think of a did think of what, when you were getting in it versus what an agent that you're talking to today, just from getting up and running, how much easier it is today. Right. No agency um, bill. Imagine having to set up agency billing. Now you're just direct bill in most cases if it's small and personal lines. You know, you, you just brought something up that used to give me a headache once a month for three days, you know, so uh, uh, agency bill. And I started worrying about it 10 days before. And so half my month was was uh, ruined, you know, from I worried uh, about agency bill. And, uh, and that doesn't exist anymore. You know, I think back my, my business partner in my uh, retail agency started the agency in 1987 and no one could believe he did it. Uh, I mean, it was just like, how do you do that? You just, you yeah. couldn't do it. And so we see this unprecedented uh, number of new agencies being created. And I think you're right, because technology drives the cost down and it makes it easier from an operational point of view. So maybe you're a great salesperson who didn't get an MBA, you know, in business organization, it does get easier to start, you know, all the time. Um, and so, and I'm glad, you know, you said earlier, sales still matter, right? Production is never going to go away from the standpoint of its importance uh, in the business. So interesting. Okay. So maybe we have the same number of agencies five years from now, but they just look different. They look a little bit different. They'll be smaller, I think. So if yep. I was to do size of, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to see a ton of 
you know, my father, for example, my, so, you know, my background, the best part of it is my father opened his own agency back in 1980, yep. but it was he and four partners and they were middle and large commercial. They didn't do any personal lines and they would have probably shunned most small commercial and they, they grew fast. They came from different, different agencies and, and built their business model. I think you'll probably, I don't know that you'll see as much of that, but I think you will see people in, in both small commercial and, and some of the personal lines provided they get their personal lines right, as we both know. You got to know what you're selling versus what you don't want to waste your time on. But, um, you know, last thing I'd say on this, Tony, is, you know, the agents that are, that if you want to get into it and you're thinking of selling and you just have stamped on your forehead, you know, insurance, consulting, and advocacy. That's what I do. You know, mm -hmm. I talk to clients about what they need and then I'm their advocate with, you know, carriers that, you know, uh, that are there in my, if that, and then I go out and sell, you know, that's a good business. It's a really good business. And mm -hmm. I think it'll be attractive to people. Well, one of the things you mentioned, the, the, the boom in M&A, which has been going on for, you know, 10, 15 years. And, and we really hit some high watermarks earlier this year. We had an agency uh, that we helped start about five years ago now that sold, uh, and they may end up having the highest valuation on a dollar um, in the in the this year, according to Marshberry, who helped them. Uh, but you know, around 15 times EBITDA, six times revenue was the transaction. And you know, when I think about that, I think, well, that's just mind blowing. You know, uh, <laughs> when you grew up in a world in which one and a half times revenue and six to eight on an EBITDA was was kind of the standard. Um, but banks were crazy at two and two and a half in the early right. 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but here's the interesting thing. I mean, almost every part of their business, uh, was virtualized. I mean, you know, they, they, they do business all over the country. Uh, they have really sophisticated systems that they built. And what that meant back to your point about expense, uh, expenses earlier was, they just on a dollar's worth of revenue delivered an enormous amount of that to their bottom line, which made them super attractive to an acquirer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, so, so somebody so, getting in this to make money needs to think about this. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is something that I know you help agents with this all the time. It's a constant dialogue that we have less directly because we're the carrier, but as we're probing and trying to figure out where the agency's going, which is, you know, do they know their cost per head? Do they, you know, some, some stuff that's pretty basic. And yep. then when you think about just, you know, going back to a service transaction, you know, what, it, what is the cost of revenue for that transaction to the agency? You talk about that in your book. And I think that's so important for, as, as you think about valuation, you know, and I think there's some negative surprises as well. There's wonderful ones like that one where you're like, wow, I might've had us at, you know, three and a half times revenue. And I'm finding out, well, it's because you've got great margin. But right. then there's people on the other end of that thinking, oh yeah, I've got a nice book of business. I'm sure I'm going to get, and they don't get the news that they thought they were going to get because yeah. the people that come in know what they're doing. And right. they take a look at you and they'll know pretty quickly whether or not, you know, what your valuation looks like. Right. Well, um, Let's switch gears just for a second and talk, um, you know, thinking again back the next three to five years. Um, one of the things that insurance carriers like the Hartford have really been focused on with their agency relationship, I'd say over the last decade or so, is teaching, training, developing people in the whole area of things like social media and other kinds of uh, new marketing techniques um, that really are trying to create the same result, right? A target market with a profitable book of business, but you really had to put a lot of time and money into uh, helping your agents learn those things, right? Um, and, and it's been well-received and I think really helped move us along. As you think about the next five years, where will the carriers be focused in their efforts to help agents develop? Yeah, no, I mean, there's the, there's the, digital technology side, but then the most important thing, right, is how do you think about their clients and how to find good clients that you would like to then hopefully have them place with you? I mean, that's that's the carriers, that's their dream, right? So when you step back and think, well, what is the marketing strategy? And, you know, you could go all the way back and say, you know, old days, whether you're going to be in life insurance or something else, it was, you know, call your family, your friends, your college friends, try to win a few accounts and, you know, go get some referrals and go from there. 
And so I think as a future state, one of the things that's important is, and this is a good news story, I think, about our industry. When we first started doing even LinkedIn training, you know, we built a whole operation to train on our agents on LinkedIn. Man, people were scared. They thought, I mean, and I'm afraid to touch this. Is Am I going to tell 10,000 people something if I, you know, and, and we've watched, and we're doing it all the time, watched people get so much more comfortable, even people who you wouldn't put in a kind of millennial generation. And so I think part of, part of it is, is just the, the getting people through the barriers of you can put yourself out there as a thought leader. Again, just connecting and asking for business, as you know, you're going to get nowhere. You got to provide some thought leadership, especially if it's in effect a cold call. I mean, that's what you're doing oftentimes. And, and so we will continue, I think, to both to help our agents and be, be highly focused on, you got to have relevant information to that business and effect in that cold call moment that's online. If you're looking to support them or connect them, you're going to have to participate, not just in a LinkedIn, but talk about a community. You know, look at what the banks do to it. The banks have oftentimes big communities of practice that are just learning areas for their clients, maybe not even in their own products. They'll have it in other areas. And so we're going to have to help people understand they've got to put their expertise about be, being in the business of insurance consulting and advocacy in multiple places well beyond they've ever thought of before. And that's, that's what we have to help them do. Um, it's not just giving them a flyer to take to their booth at the trade association. So <laughs> Um, you know, that's, we think about that. It's content writ large and being comfortable about it. So it's certainly one of the things that agencies, particularly I would say small and medium sized agencies need to think about as they consider carrier appointments is what, what is the carrier going to be able to do from a training education development point of view to help them get those skills that they may not have yet. Yeah. And absolutely. And I would say one other component of this is, as you're being that consultant, especially if you're newer, does the carrier help you build the confidence with the client that they're getting the right policy? You know, we're always reminded of these things through different events that are beyond our control. It can be a major storm, you know, and your off-premises power outage comes into play. Obviously in Oklahoma, you know, you guys have to deal with a lot of wind and hail, right. you know, and different. And so all of a sudden you're looking at, well, what's your replacement rate on this? And and so one of the other areas the carrier must, must support its agents on is helping them be good insurance consultants to their clients. Um, and so that's a, that's a big piece and it can be both in typical training, also just the quote rate issue system. When you, when you rate up a policy in the carrier system, is it helping you? And saying, hey, you know, you know, clients like this usually buy an umbrella or clients like this usually buy a first party data breach. And sort of helping you say, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. It's only $58 or $112 on top of their BOP. So that stuff's important, too. So it's not just traditional training, but it's also do their systems help you be a better advocate? Well, you know, having great systems, and, and those will increasingly be driven by artificial intelligence, where decisions are made in a more sophisticated way faster on behalf of carrier systems like you're describing. Um, what does that imply for the online uh, agency? So one of the things that uh, I think a lot of agencies are really worried about is, is their business all going to disappear because of somebody, you know, in a, in a cubicle farm on the internet someplace? You know, is there really a need for the local agent? Um, and so how does, how does Hartford see that? I mean, uh, yeah. you know, that's an important thing that I think a lot of people worry about. Is that worth worrying about? You know, it, it is and it's, but it's not a panic. And I'll hit the reasons why is, as we both know, in the nineties, if we Google, there was the death of the insurance agent in the two thousands, there's the death of the insurance agent. And in the 2010s, there was a death of the insurance agent. What do you know? There's 38,000 of them out there doing really well. So, or do a lot of them doing really well. So, so clearly there is, um, there is a desire by whether the personal lines or commercial customers to have a trusted relationship. I, I think the thing that we can never lose sight of, and this is, this is true in any business, um, certainly true in one where the client 
really doesn't want to have to understand or worry about what they're buying, which insurance absolutely, as you know better than I, that is absolutely true. Trust becomes the whole game. And so what I would say is that is very hard to establish. Cold to a cubicle somewhere or someone, a chat bot that's not even a real person somewhere online. And, and so that in that sense, I think an agent can always figure out how to be better than that moment, establishing trust as, their, as a consultant and advocate. But my, my but on that is on very simple policies. So I just need a million dollars of GL because I need a cert to get on my job. You've been through the personal auto journey, you know, where it seems like it's a pretty basic thing I'm buying. I do. I really need a lot of consulting. I think if I'm guiding my agents, if I, if I was, you know, at my father's agency and, you know, the, I'd be looking around going, what is it where my consulting really probably takes a backseat to just speed and needing to be done in the mind of the client. And I might not choose to pursue those types of clients for two reasons. One, they're more likely to be online and they will be. And then secondly, they're going to leave me. So I may win them the first time and then they might get some banner ad that says, Hey, get your insurance here and they'll try it. Next thing you know, I got a 65% retention and I just lose money on them every time. So my strategic advice to an agent is think about the online buyer client. What does that, what does that persona look like to you? And you might stay away from them a bit. But then think of that trust client and man, go after them with everything you got. So one of the things that um, has really you mentioned personal insurance and, and a lot of changes in the way personal lines has is being sold over the last 15 years. And the thing that really has driven, I think, unfortunately, a focus on price as opposed to coverage, proper coverage is two things. One, it's all the advertising and the Geico's and progressives in the world, but also even in the independent agency world, you know, we got the uh, comparative rating system, which uh, led a lot of agents to just focus on price as a, uh, over against everything else. Um, there are two or three or four uh, products coming to market, I think, over the next few months, commercial rating systems uh, for small commercial. Um, there's already some things in, the, in that area. How do you think about that? And do you think that's a good thing for agencies or is it a bad thing on balance? How, how do you yeah. see that? Yeah, I'll hit two things and it's obviously it's a live question for us at, at the Hartford. So we all know win on price, lose on price, right? It's, it's just that simple. If that, that, that's how you attain the client, you can lose them just as fast. Easy thing to say, but we all know that. But what I would say is there's a multi-carrier dynamic. That is to say, again, back to the efficiency of the agency. There's probably a balance between what it, especially in commercial, um, small commercials, we all know is more complicated than we think. And oftentimes the premiums are less than personal insurance on a more complex set of choices on the policy. Right. So I believe where a lot of this is going to go is you're going to want to know who's a market from a multi-carrier perspective. So are they even open for this? And right. you're going to want to know it in, not by going to each individual system, but by going somewhere, whether it's embedded in your agency management system or it's sitting on top of it. And then secondly, you might even want an indication. You might want to say, okay, there may be a market, but are they crazy here versus here? But at the end of the day, if you're choosing to add some coverages to it, which in a small commercial, if you're choosing to say, I might use a little pricing, the carrier has some pricing because they trust me to say that this is what it'll sell at. All those things are going to exist in the carrier system. And so I think it's probably too, it, it, it's, it's going to resemble some version of where are my markets? Are they, you know, are my carriers, are they, are they open to this type of a client? Maybe even what does that, what does that look like from how they start out? But are you issuing? Are you finishing? You're probably doing that um, in, in the carrier systems. And that's probably, you know, going to evolve over time. But that's the other thing I would say, final thing on this one is, man, watch the expense watch the, someone's got to pay for it. Yeah. So this is one of those areas where it's sort of like your, uh, if I look at my TV bill in the house, my TV bill is no longer cable. It's Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, 
you know, all of a sudden I'm paying for all. And if I step back, I probably, I'm in a way worse spot. And am I watching any more TV? Probably not. So you got your AMS system and then you're paying a little bit for this thing and a little bit. So you, if you're an agency, be very careful that you don't create layers of expense that haven't actually delivered you efficiency um, that, that are, uh, you know, accompanying that expense. So. Gotcha. So um, as you think about, the insurance agency of the future of the next three to five years and, and the way in which uh, Hartford wants to interact uh, with those agencies. What have we not talked about that you think is really important for us to, to be thinking and talking about? Two things I think come to mind. And um, one, I, this is, this is kind of going into, you know, if you just step back and think what's to the Bill Gates thing, what's it really going to look like? I think there's a level of cloud-based collaboration so just step back and think, why in the world isn't one of your clients sitting in some very, you know, well done, very easy cloud-based app with your producer and the underwriter going, hey, yeah, actually, we're, our operations changed here. And, and in 25 minutes versus emailing accords and change, you know, in 25 minutes live, you guys just renewed a policy and it was better. It was a great experience. So if you just take things like, a, like cloud-based collaboration and say the future state has to be that we're not, you know, sending stuff. So, so an agency should be thinking about, you know, that type of partnership is probably going to be a key part. Another piece of it would be truly tailored policies. If I look at what we're doing here at the Hartford Tony on data, on artificial intelligence, on bringing multiple pieces of data together to then create the kind of vision for, yep, that's what that business does. That's what their losses look, are likely to be. It's mind blowing. And, um, and so if I roll that forward beyond what we're even doing today and think about, you know, two dentist office may have very different profiles as to the risk characteristics and thus the price and the coverage needs and so on and so forth. But on, if you just looked at them, you might say they're the same thing. Right. And so, but one's got water problems over here because this hose, you know, so, but we may know all that. So I think right? the, 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 the implication is that from an underwriting perspective, carriers are going to increasingly not, they're going to have to take a very custom approach to almost every account. I know, uh, another carrier, not, not the Hartford, that uh, we do a lot of business with is is uh, taking a very inflexible approach to price increases, even losing accounts they've had for 20 and 30 years because they've got to do some things financially. Uh, and their agency force is screaming in pain, like, you know, can you give us some flexibility? But from a business management perspective, big company can't do that today. I think what I hear you saying is that maybe five years, if they're not doing that, they're not going to be here. How will they compete? You know, I know I'm sure, and I'm sure my competitors, at, you know, are doing doing the same stuff. And so, I think as someone who's not, you know, and I go, how will they possibly compete and get the coverage right? Not just their own, you know, profit and loss, but but make sure that 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 client and the recommendation, you know, that you're bringing forward to the client is spot on for their needs and where they want to take their business. So absolutely. I think this is, uh, this is going to, it's going to just like in that it's going to move and then it's going to move, you know, yeah. it's re cause you, you know, it's going to take off and you're going to say, remember the world where you had slot rating, <laughs> like you're going to laugh. Right. And so, yeah. So, and you mentioned collaboration and collaboration tools. So I'm sure you're thinking of things like Microsoft Teams and Slack and other things like that, where we can all in real time uh, communicate with each other and solve problems. Um, you know, uh, I'm assuming that that's sort of the idea that you're talking about. So I would, I would guess your advice to agents would be, hey, the tools may be relatively crude today. Uh, a friend recently said, you know, uh, when the automobile was first invented, they called them horseless carriages because they didn't know what else to call them. <laughs> you know, and uh, of course now they're something completely different. And he goes, think of Zoom like that. That's a Model T. Uh, and think what it's going to be like in three years. And so uh, Microsoft Teams, Slack, some of these other collaboration tools are fairly crude, I would guess, compared to what they're going to be like in the next three to five years. So, but you at least need to learn how to drive. 
right? Right. I agree. I think, and I'll just take that, you know, think of today, if we were, if we were doing a presentation, we'd be loading up the PowerPoint, even in a Skype or something, and you'd be clicking to the next page of that PowerPoint. And so, so I think there's a future state that is much more dynamic and, and, and it's all cloud-based, wherein you might just, you know, have the policy might just be showing up and you might be adjusting things live. And then you see, this is the end dynamic. And do you like that? Does that work for you? And the underwriter saying, yep, now nah, I'm good. And you're done. And we're not trading emails and proposals. And I, so, so it's, it's not just the collaboration kind of live, but it's the actual product that goes with the collaboration too. I, I think that is the, the ingestions of loss runs. I mean, think of all the things our industry does for you to get us the info we need to give you a policy you can bring to a client and then just wipe that board clean and say, what should that really look like? Well, guess what? Technology is going to do that. So you're really describing, I think, Nirvana for an agent because uh, an agent is a people person almost always, somebody that's a great relationship builder. And, you know, uh, I remember when my son was in the fourth grade, he said, Dad, I got to do a report at school. What do you do for a living? And I said, well, I have lunch for a living. And, and he said, I can't tell him that. Uh, you know, what do you really do for a living? I said, I make friends for a living, right? The, the, the truth is, though, that 80% of my day is full of drudgery. And you just described all that drudgery. And what you've said is all going away. I mean, so, for the most part, right? So, so the future for an agent sounds pretty, pretty awesome. You know, we're going to have lots of opportunity. The drudgery goes away. Uh, we can make a lot of money in the future. And so uh, I'm excited about that future. And it sounds like you would be too. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I think that's what it looks like. It's going to go faster than we think. So in your agency, be ready and be adjusting today to what needs to happen. But absolutely, I'll finish, you know, Tony, with uh, it's funny you mentioned your son. I'll tell you a funny story. So, you know, that Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Uh -huh. So my wife calls me. My son was in first grade at the time. He's in eighth grade now. And she said, I'm sending you a text of something from the hallway in the school. You're not going to believe it. And she sends this picture and he had to write all the places you'll go. And so for him, it said, I'm going to play for the Detroit Pistons or be an insurance agent. Because I think he thought I was an agent because my father is. Yeah. And I told my wife, I said, well, I'm five seven, so I guess we got a future insurance agent coming in the world. He's certainly not playing for the Pistons. And when Danny's an insurance agent in the future, man, I hope he's he's that it's all about people, consulting, and advocacy, and not the drudgery. Yeah, great. Well, hey, I really appreciate you joining me today. I've learned a lot, and I hope that our listeners uh, will as well and be inspired. So thanks for for being with me, and I look forward to the day soon. I hope when we can see each other face to face. Sounds good. Uh, best to Sharon as well. Good to see you, Tony. I'm talking to independent agency owners about this all the time. If you'd like to have a more personalized conversation, click on the button or the link in the description and we'll make that happen.